Hello, and welcome to Ponderings from the Perch. This is Priscilla McKinney. I'm the Mama Bird here at Little Bird Marketing. I'm so glad you've joined us today because you are in for a massive treat, and you can hear it in my voice. I'm very energized. I'm so excited to have Michael Brenner back on my show. He's a twofer. So, uh, Michael, welcome back to Ponderings from the Perch. Yeah, thanks so much for having me uh, for the second time. It's it's really an honor, and I really look forward to talking to you again. Well, um, I'm going to have to put a a stop time on this at some point because you (laughs) and I could go on and on, and we we probably you know could laugh about a million horrible stories and also some of the most amazing things we've seen happen out there. But let me tell you a little bit about Michael Brenner, as if maybe you don't know. Um, But he is a top CMO influencer, and I talk to people all the time on this show when they don't know what to do, go to the influencers. Look at what they're doing. And the reality that I'm preaching all the time is that influencers many times are willing to answer a question if you just simply ask them. And this is the case with Michael. I see it all the time on your Twitter feed. Someone asks a genuine question, you just simply answer them. And so the accessibility of influencers is really out there for the taking. But he is a fantastic speaker, and he is the CEO of Marketing Insider Group. He has worked with so many crazy brands. I mean, SAP, Nielsen, but then also all kinds of interesting high growth startups. But he has such powerful leadership and marketing skills <laughs> to boot. This is my favorite thing about Michael. Your book, Mean People Suck, is just it's a banner cry. It's so it's so awesome. And you've written several, but I'd love to make sure that people don't leave this podcast without hearing about that. So Michael, welcome to the show. And this is going to be so much fun. Yeah, looking forward to it. Okay, so we're going to dive right into what is going on in content marketing right now. Um, I would like to point out, um, I don't always do this, but let's quote another author. Uh, Seth Godin is quoted to have said, content marketing is the only marketing left. Mm. And I think that based on your blogging and based on your real drive to get content to be empathetic, to the consumer, and maybe even, I would say, not even see them as a consumer, just to see them as a human. Let's change the verbiage so we really see them uh, for who they are. Let's talk about that, about why investing in content marketing is so important. Yeah, well, you brought up Seth Godin. I love him, and I love his quote. I mean, I know I know many of us in marketing have have you know heard or read his brilliance. It's funny that quote is actually from 2008 when he had never heard of content marketing at the time when he was asked by that reporter, and when and the reporter said, "Oh, well, it's when you kind of create helpful content, you know, as opposed to maybe promotional, you know, more advertising type content." And he said, "Oh, well, you know," and he was surprised. He was like, "Oh, well, if that's what content marketing is, then that's all the marketing that's left." <laughs> and I love the context of that. Of that story. The other thing that I love about Seth Godin is um, he writes a newsletter every single day if, he, if you're not subscribed to him. And sometimes he sends you a simple sentence. And he was also asked by that reporter, how does he find the time to write every single day, even when it's only a sentence? And sometimes it's pages, you know, pages long, like a typical article might be. But he said, you know, I just imagine that there's one person out in the world who needs to hear what I'm what I'm thinking about or what I have to say or what's inspired me. And I write for just that one person. And, you know, this was, again, an interview back in 2008, right as I was starting my uh, sort of head of digital marketing career at SAP and something that really inspired me. That's what marketing 
marketing should be, right? It should be about thinking about that one person like a, you know, I always imagine like a really um, sort of a discouraged, uh, you know, third grade teacher who, you know, the students are throwing, you know, spitballs at him and, you know, or, or she and, and but, you know, they stay in their job because they know there's one student they might be impacting. Absolutely. And, th- and that's what I think marketing really should be. So, you know, we talk about content marketing only as something separate from marketing because marketing has a marketing problem. And, and what I mean by that is if you ask your mom what marketing is, she'll say it's advertising. She'll think of the Super Bowl. She'll say, Oh, I remember that Skittles commercial, you know, when the, when the donkey was, you know, pooping Skittles, like, you know, it's, it's, um, it's what most people think marketing is, you know, big budget, big agency ads that, um, that interrupt the content that we're trying to experience. And so, you know, I think, you know, getting to the definition, we talk about content marketing because it's different. It's different from what we all experience. And uh, it's counterintuitive, I think, to the business. It, Like you said, it requires some empathy, some customer focus, and it requires us all to, in, in many ways, I think, resist the natural tendencies of our brands to want to promote, you know, who it is that we're trying to reach with promotional messages that they don't want. Right. Well, promotional messages are incredibly interruptive, but promotional messages feel easier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they take, I, I, I hesitate to say they t- take less work, but they take a different kind of work. And, you know, really content marketing, when it's been, being done correctly, it is complicated. It is a little bit messy. It is um, very, you know, get outside of the way that you think. But, you know, if, if it is true that this is what's left and that, you know, uh, going forward, we're going to, you know, really focus and brands are going to be rewarded when they are focused on truly being helpful. What is it then that keeps companies, do you think, from actually investing in content marketing? What, where's the disconnect here? Why do they keep pressing the advertising lever and not just come over to, you know, to the revolution and start pressing the content marketing lever? Well, I, I think you it's a great question and, and it's the question, really. And and I think you alluded to it. It it, it I don't I think it not only feels easier for marketing executives or even executives that are not in marketing when they direct marketing people to do stuff. But I think it also feels like the right thing to do. And and that's why I said it's our natural instinct as a business executive to think that our job is to communicate why you should do business with me or us, why we're better than the competition, uh, what makes us unique. It's a natural, I think it's a natural to feel that way. That, you know, you're a business person, you're trying to promote the interests of the business, and so you think you should be promoting that interest to everyone that will listen. And um, so, you know, I think it's a matter of perspective, to be honest. Like, I actually think customer-focused content marketing is easier because – you know, promotional based marketing is opinionated. It's opinion based. You know, we're going to pick this message with this medium and this creative on this channel because we think it's right. Or this agency said it, you know, their research shows us that this might be where we can reach our, our, our audience. But to me, it's very simple to just go Google something and see what content is, is really ranked, you know, ranked on the first page by Google. Where does Google place authority? It's not on ads. It's on helpful content. It's on content that answers a question. And, uh, you know, you could go ask your sales team, what questions do you get asked every day by our prospects? How do you answer those questions? When we turn that into consistent content on our website, those are the kinds of websites that attract much, much more traffic, much more qualified leads that that convert much more easily to sales. And so 
it, it feels easier and it feels like the right thing to do to promote, but it's actually easier and it's much more likely to convert when we help our customers. Well, that requires a mindset shift. And you said an interesting phrase right in there. When you say that advertising, they they basically create a system where, uh, you know, that is designed for everyone uh, who will listen. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because content marketing is specifically designed so that people will self-select and only certain people will listen. That's right. So let's That's talk right. about that. What, what does that mean when what we're really wanting to do is only, you know, talk to our most ideal client or truly to the person who we really can help. We really mm-hmm. do have something that is significant and is important and that will be effective for them if they could uh, only understand it. And I'll kind of caveat that by saying I joke around all the time about, you know, I'm very gregarious and I like, you know, connecting people. And a lot of people comment, oh, Priscilla, you're such a people person. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm not. I'm just a my people person, Mm, (laughs) you know, because, you know, I really do have my life carved out in a certain way that some people, you know, are not interested. Mm. And some people are like, yeah, I I can see clearly that you are not for me. And I'm like, you're Mm. right. I'm not for everybody. So how do we make that happen with content? Like what's required to make that mindset shift? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I was, I was uh, presenting and this is, this is probably five years ago. Um, and it was before this brand had some significant um, PR issues. So I won't name them. I'm actually a customer of theirs as well. So I can't really, um, you know, I, I really shouldn't mention them, but, but I was speaking to the CMO uh, and, and, and his team at the time of this large, large uh, brand. And I was talking about how the conversation has shifted from when he and I probably were in college and learned reach and frequency. You know, advertising success happens when you get when you gain reach and frequency, and you can measure reach and frequency, right? How much how much audience? How many impressions are you getting? Um, and you can you can kind of multiply that by the number of impressions you're giving. You know, the frequency of advertising messages, and that equals success or so we think. I mean, it's basically, it's an input-based, not outcome-based way of trying to measure marketing. And, and, and many of, you know, many of us in, in the, in the marketing world know reach and frequency as the way that we used to, you know, look at marketing. And I was trying to tell him that it's changed. The conversation has changed and we're really focused now on engagement. And, and he turned to me and he said, but my, my goals are reach and frequency. Mm. And I'm like, but those are the wrong goals. You've, you've, (laughs) You've requested that those be your goals because you can't measure business outcomes. And I said, engagement is a business outcome. You can measure the number of people that click on a piece of content on your website that would have never come before. It, and, and I told him, I said, it's essentially the analogy is you can either shout into the wind and you can certainly measure the number of, of, of times you're shouting and the, the volume of the, of the windstorm that you're shouting into. <laughs> what you really want to measure, though, is the number of people, the number of hands that you're holding, the number of touches that you're making. And and that's a business outcome. If, like you said, if you're touching the right people, if you're attracting the right people, that's a measurement for success. You can then measure whether those people convert, whether those people become uh, customers, how much those customers spend. And and I think the mental shift really starts 
with thinking about what are the business outcomes that we can measure and how do we start thinking about marketing, you know, attracting uh, those kinds of folks that will ultimately produce those outcomes. Again, it, it comes back to empathy. It comes back to resisting that natural desire to promote. And it's certainly, and this is, you know, my first book, The Content Formula, which we talked about, I think, mm-hmm. on our last uh, conversation. <laughs> yes, yeah, seminal, seminal book for me. I just like to put a plug right there. If you have not read that, go back. It's totally worth it. Well, it was it was all about, hey, guess what? I'm tired of hearing from CMOs or from CEOs, even worse, that marketing can't show business results. And and every CEO in the world says marketing should deliver ROI or revenue of some form. And the book was an attempt to say everything we do in marketing should tie back to a, a business outcome that a CEO or a CFO can understand. And so that's part of the mental shift we all need to make, I think, as marketers is, hey, let's let's focus on customers and create content that's helpful for them, but let's only do that when it's actually delivering a business outcome we can measure. And, and you know, the book was all about the 10 ways you can measure those things, whether it's awareness or engagement or, um, you know, change in perception or leads or, or retention. Um, you know, I provided the math calculations there, but, but it really should deliver business outcomes. And that's, you know, that's part of why I get so passionate about this. Let's take a short break. Teams are getting smaller, but you still have to get your research in field. If only you could partner with a global expert to be an extension of your team without the extra overhead. Look no further. Gazelle Global provides the ad hoc services you need when you need them. Visit gazelleglobal.com to learn more about how we can handle global sampling, field management, data collection, and more. Our team is ready to lend our expertise to complete projects to your specification. Visit gazelleglobal.com today. You talked about attracting the right customer. Okay, so let me really break that down. There is a famous quote by Vince Lombardi that says, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Mm. (laughs) Love that. I love that. Um, And how this relates right now and what I'd really like to hear your, your opinion on is about how when when someone makes the decision then to begin to try and attract the right customer, there's a lot of energy that has to happen when we do that. Mm-hmm. Um, just like you think about, you know, you don't get up and put sweatpants on. You're not going to, you know, roll out of bed and go on the, the biggest date of your life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, likewise, you know, when you really want to attract the right person, the right customer, you got to make an effort. You got to shine the shoes. You got to do all these other kinds of things and get prepped. But in the middle of fatigue, in the middle of difficulty in business, it seems like that looks like too much to bear. And we're, while we're not going to go into COVID directly, mm. I do think that it is an evergreen message to talk about difficulties that arise in business and how quickly it is that people can decide to completely abandon these efforts that might seem to take longer on the front end, but actually pay much longer dividends. So can you talk about some of the experience that you've had in helping people put the energy in the right place? And also to that effect, if you've heard some stories recently where you've kind of had to, you know, pull, a, you know, a CMO or, a, you know, a, a, another client back onto this bus and say, <laughs> please yeah. don't get off this bus. I know it takes a lot of energy. I know it's hard times because whether it's COVID or not, we're going to have other hard times in business. Yeah, it was really interesting. There's there's two I don't usually do this. I mean, typically on LinkedIn I'm I'm sharing, you know, the article. I, I try to I cr- try to create content for my audience first, kind of like you said, on my website. And then I, I use 
you know, platforms like Twitter and LinkedIn to share them. Um, I do certainly have personal conversations on both of those platforms, but I don't typically organically post stuff um, on, you know, I don't, I don't go in and make a statement on Twitter, you know, or, or ask people's opinion. I do that on my website, but, but I did during the COVID, you know, early days of the, of the pandemic, I, I had two, two organic posts. And the first one was, I was just fascinated by the changes in search patterns that from a buyer consumer perspective. And so, you know, things like remote work technology, video conferencing, um, remote IT desktop support, all of those kinds of searches were up 300, 400%. Things like marketing actually was down 35%, uh, finance, accounting, ERP software, um, uh, you know, anything obviously travel and tourism related, you know, obviously the consumer side, um, you know, there, there are certainly some interesting trends there. Surprisingly, there was a massive increase in searches for dried beans. <laughs> who, who, who knew? I actually knew that because my mom sent me to the grocery store because she refused to go and she's, you know, elderly. And she asked me to pick up some dried beans. I'm like, who? I've never been to the grocery store. And, and sure enough, the, the shelves were empty. I, yeah. Everybody bought sh- dried beans. Anyway, I was fascinated by that. And a couple of people commented and, and, you know, and a few people kind of teed up your question, you know, should we pause? Should we stop? Should we you know, should we double down in in content? And what we found was, first of all, you know, we saw in in general about a 35% decrease in business-related searches overall, aside from those few exceptions. After about three weeks, so by the time we got to early April, um, and even mid-April for sure, we were back to almost 100%. And the the decline in business searches was was actually higher than the declines we see during the holidays. So I found that pretty interesting. And my message to my message to clients and my audience was people may not be buying right now, but they're still educating. Mm-hmm. And and for sure the brands that are helping them, their audiences understand the key trends and, and helpful advice are the ones that are gonna win. So then I looked at a second set of data, and I'm actually presenting on this later today. There were th- three companies that I, I looked at at SEMrush, uh, and, and I use that tool every single day. I, I call it SEM Rush, but they're Russian and they call it SEMrush. Right. So. <laughs> you know, I made that mistake years ago, actually. So yeah. thank you for being a part of the the, yeah. the club. <laughs> yeah, and and then you know, don't even ask me how to pronounce pronounce Ahrefs or Atrefs no. or uh, yeah. <laughs> whatever, yes. But anyway, so these companies need to brand themselves a little better. But but I looked at, I used SEMrush and I looked at three different companies. One was a company that I've been chasing for years and they suggest that they're interested in content marketing, but they just go right back to creating product focused messages, press releases basically. And then I looked at um, a company and I looked at the organic search trends, which is, SEMrush is great for. You can actually see competitive organic search trends. I looked at a current client who paused and they were in a somewhat unfortunate industry. They do merchant payments to businesses and merchants were closed as, as we, as we all know. And so I thought, sure, that's understandable. You know, we can pause for two months, but sure enough on LinkedIn, I was getting bombarded by ads for this company. I was clearly being retargeted because I was on their website mm-hmm. and I thought, you know, this is, doesn't seem like the right time to be advertising to an, a group of people that are fighting for their lives. And then I looked at the third company, and this was a client that I've had for four years. And I looked at the organic search trends. So company number one, never done content marketing. Their organic search is down 300% from three years ago. Company number two, who um, started doing content marketing six months ago, paused it, uh, you know, during the pandemic, and, and you know now they're back. But they went they went flat, and and you could see in SEMrush, you can see the increase of them trying to chase the traffic they lost with advertising with paid. 
um, which is unfortunate because you're going to spend, you know, we, we, we've proven that you spend less when you, when you focus on content exactly. over paid ads. The third company, 400% increase in organic search traffic in four years. And it's just, it's amazing. I mean, our, our clients, you know, I'm not pitching at what we do, but our clients are only spending 35, four, you know, 3,500, $4,000 a month. They get two, they publish two articles a week focused on keywords using content research that we know are, you know, the kinds of things that, that these companies, um, audiences are looking for. And yet with that small amount of money, with that simple two times per week approach, you can see a 400% decrease flat, but chasing it with paid and 400% increase. And I think that that was the second, and maybe I'll share, uh, share with you the links that you can send out to everybody of my LinkedIn posts. That Absolutely. Yeah, that'd be great. It'll, it, you know, it's a little dated now, but but still, the trends. I think certainly the second the second part, the trends hold true. Is a consistent focus on content will win every time, especially during the pandemic. I think we, we were able to prove that. Oh, I, I, that is the that is the pulled quote of the show. Be the consistency, um, and it does take you know a steady hand to do it when times are hard. But again, what you pointed out is that you can either pay for it, you know, in paid advertising, mm-hmm. or you can earn it. earn the media, you know, and earn the exposure by the way that you care about your actual audience and and really the people who are absolutely not only the most likely to buy from you, but the most likely to be helped from you and also the most who are in the most active pursuit of what it is that you offer. That's right. It's so it's so beautiful. So, <laughs> I you know I I have to give another plug for Mean People Suck. It's been such a great romp to even come back to it after I've read, uh, read it. I read it last year. I mean, like I think I read it like maybe maybe over the Christmas break or something mm-hmm. like that. I think that's when I read it. It had just really come out uh, right before that, um, and I really loved the unboxing when you had uh, you know when you received your book. I love that part with authors. Thanks. I know that's a big deal and that that's super fun. But what really pushed you to write that book, Mean People Suck. And obviously, in some ways, it might seem to someone like this is more of a memoir departure. But if mm-hmm. you read it, you'll realize, no, it's not. It's it's such a great uh, mindset for business. So tell us a little bit about how that came about and, and what you want people to do with that. Yeah, it was, I mean, a couple of things. I mean, one, it, just from my business perspective, I was getting asked by a lot of non-marketers at the at my client companies to help their executive team or their sales team with personal branding and thought leadership and and what I came to term employee activation. I, I don't like the term employee advocacy because it, it implies, you know, employees should tell everybody that they love their company. And, um, and, and that led me to HR people who were like, we love your message because employees that share what they know on their social platforms attract other talented employees have, who have expertise. And it was just, I found myself like the marketing guy talking to HR people or the marketing consultant talking to a CMO about how culture is really important for, you know, using your employee thought leaders to generate better return on investment for marketing activities than anything else. And, and, you know, and, and the other thing was, you know, as the marketing guy, again, kind of showing up and talking to CEOs, I found they all kind of put blinders on there. You know, the, you're just the advertising guy. <laughs> and I thought, no, that's, I'm the opposite of that. You know, I'm the, I'm the one who's been saying that, you know, advertising is fine if you can afford it and if you can show a return on ad spend. But I'm, you know, I've been doing the opposite of that for most of my career. So what I found when I talked to those CEOs is 
they all, you know, I said, what, what do you, what's your, what's your frustration? And they were like, I just wish my team would do what I asked them to do. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I loved pulling out the Steve Jobs quote of, you know, Steve, who was not considered a great manager, but who at least had the courage to build great teams and of smart people. And, and his quote was, we don't hire smart people to tell them what to do. We hire smart people so that they can decide what to do. And, and that's really what led me to, to write the book. I mean, a lot of the stories and case studies are all marketing stories in a sense. But I think the context of it is that, you know, and again, again I go back to, um, uh, I for, always forget, Hewlett or Packard. I think it was Dave Packard from Hewlett Packard said that marketing is too impart, important to be left to the marketing department. <laughs> Famous and one. <laughs> that's the reason I wrote the book is basically to say, listen, if you want to attract customers to your business, which is the way we grow, then you need to have employees that love what they do and share that online or with their friends. And, and you know, it, it goes back to the first business book I ever read. It was called The Service Profit Chain. And it basically just showed that the research proved that happy employees correlate to increased customer satisfaction and retention, which obviously drives up stock prices. And, uh, the book Grow by Jim Stengel was another big inspiration where he looked at the stock prices of company with sort of, uh, per, you know, purpose-driven mission statements um, where they, the companies might even have put profit at secondary level of importance to their purpose. Those companies have 400% higher stock prices. And, you know, basically the book is all about cultures of empathy for customers and, and employees are more successful. And that's somewhat counterintuitive. And that's certainly true for marketing, but it's true for business overall. So, you know, everybody asked me, like, are you getting consulting gigs from it? Or, you know, not really. I mean, it was it was kind of a passion project. Um, you know, there are some great stories from people I've, I've now come to call friends that, you know, whose story I was able to tell in the book, who many of whom are marketers. But I really do believe that marketing and HR are coming together, that the talent experience and the customer experience are completely related, if not, you know, uh, correlate from each other directly. And, um, you know, and I think that in the future, we're going to be talking a lot more about employees as a channel of marketing and a creator of marketing content. Oh, my gosh. And this is why this book was such a breath of fresh air for me. You know, I teach digital transformation to teams. And on one hand, it's like, you know, what you and I preach about content for the company. Okay, we got to get them into that mindset and get people over that first hurdle to say, let's quit hitting the advertising lever. Let's actually hit the content and earned media lever. And that requires different work and it requires mm -hmm. a different mindset. But once I get the company going on that, the next question is always, how do we activate these employees in order to uh, really empower them through social media channels to just, just showcase their expertise? It's not something forced. It's not so many people look at that, you know, you called it employee advocacy at first. It's like, I get, I, I don't like that word either because it's like, you have to advocate for the company. No, you don't. Mm -hmm. But we could activate you to do what is natural to you and what really showcases how you are the best and brightest and what you truly genuinely think about the company. That's right. And absolutely yeah. that trickles over into talent. 
how do you want to get the best and brightest? By showing that you already have them. <laughs> you That's right. showcase the best and brightest, and guess what? Everybody wants to be a joiner because there is a, a big FOMO when it comes to wanting to be involved in a company that is truly activating their own employees. And so the, to me, I think it is such a natural follow from content marketing right over into employee activation and true digital transformation, yep. you know, with the actual messages that, yes, of course, benefit the company. Yeah. But they are far more organic and they have far longer uh, standing out in the market. And this these companies that completely are so afraid to activate their employees on LinkedIn. And I'm sure you hear this a lot. It's like, oh, well, we don't really want them becoming the thought leaders. We don't want them to, you know, we want it on the company LinkedIn page. And I, mm -hmm. I even just told a client this morning, nobody follows company LinkedIn pages. No. Yeah. <laughs> that is a graveyard. If you, I'm not going to spend money there. I'm, I'm yep. not going to help you spend money there. It's not. I use it as a vehicle. We we use it, of course. We're going to create all of our content and put it there. It is a vehicle by which I deliver really strong and tested messaging to all of your employees and how they want to use that fodder for their own showcasing is up to them. It's just a very easy way for me to disseminate it out to your entire team. Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, I, I use the uh, I used to work at Nielsen many, many years ago, and, and they had a stat that came out um, about a decade ago that said that at the time, then 75% of people wouldn't care if the brands they used disappeared completely. And, and, you know, I think it was just a great set. It's only gotten worse. I mean, we care less and less about brands and brand names and all those kinds of things. And and that's certainly true of consumers. And, I, you know, I always say when we talk about customer experience and the need for digital transformation, if you, I, another Nielsen stat was that most people can only um, will only point to three or four brands that they care about. And, and for most of us, it's the same ones. It's Starbucks, Netflix, and Amazon. <laughs> and if you think about Guilty. it, what, what do they do, right? They've digitally transformed to provide personalized customer experiences, right? Netflix tells me what shows I might like based on what shows I've watched. Starbucks writes my name on the cup every morning when, I, when, you know, when we're now able to go back in there and get a cup of coffee. Amazon tells me, you know, um, same, you know, here are some things that you might like based on your previous history or here's your previous orders. Do you want to order again? I mean, all personal, personalized messages and personalized experiences. And that's completely true for B2B tech, B2B, um, you know, companies that are not in the consumer space as well. And, and so the need for digital transformation is because customers are demanding it. They don't care. We don't care about brands anymore. We uh, are happy to replace, um, you know, one product for another based on the experience. And it's the, it's the digital platforms and the culture of the the employees at those companies that are that are defining that. Oh my gosh, so so true. I absolutely agree. Just as a thank you for your time, Michael, I, I'd love to tee you up to be able to share whatever it is you'd like to share. People mm -hmm. need to be following the blog on your company first of all, and 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 the three books that you've written have been absolutely, um, you know, key in, in my career. And, and it, they're always written not in this weird, you know, business cheesy. <laughs> uh, you know, some of those things are just a dime a dozen, but I've really appreciated the, you know, the um, the voice in, in those books. And I think they're really, especially like even in digital marketing growth hacks, you know, that to me, that's just like, it, it's just brass tacks. Look, mm -hmm. this is what, this is what you can do. And to me, that's super refreshing. So obviously people can go revisit, you know, your books, but where should people connect with you? And, and is there something that's coming up next that you would like to pitch? I'd love to just give you the give you the floor to do it. 
Thanks. I appreciate it. I don't have anything to pitch. I, I just say connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, you know, any kind of personalized note is fine, but I, I pretty much connect with anyone that uh, um, that doesn't seem like a spam bot. Um, you know, follow me on Twitter if you want to, at Brenner Michael, uh, and I appreciate, Priscilla, your support there um, with the content I create. And then marketinginsidergroup.com is really where, uh, you know, I share uh, – you know, as you mentioned, it's it's. I just try to help people with what I've learned, and you know, it's practical tips. It it um, it's uh, you know, it. I, I really try not to um, you know, over over uh, engineer the content that I create. It's it's pretty practical. Some people criticize me for not uh, you know, spending more time coming up with unique thoughts and all of those kinds of things. And I thought, you know what, I have too much to share that I think is just helpful uh, to av- help avoid people avoid the mistakes that I've made and the mistakes I've seen other people make. So <laughs> if you're looking for helpful practical tips, come join. If you're looking for, you know, soapbox in you know, sort of uh, quote unquote influencer opinions. Uh, there's certainly other places for that. Well, Forbes counts you as a CMO influencer, so I think that's good <laughs> enough for me. So seriously, you've got to go to Insider uh, Marketing Insider Group. The blog is phenomenal. He is, if you really are thinking, how can I sharpen, you know, my pencil and really get inspired to, you know, to blog better about our business and really help drive revenue. This is a fantastic blog you don't want to miss. Michael, thank you so much for coming and spending your time on Ponderings from the Perch. This has been really fun. Thanks so much for having me, Priscilla. From all of the peeps here at Little Bird Marketing, we wish you the very best day and, of course, happy marketing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.